All right, guys. So I started this series last week, and like I told you, I have been praying about it for some time because of the season that we're in, all right? We are in voting season, all right? Actually, at the end of the service, I believe that we're going to have somebody that is going to be delivering us uh, some voters guide with, you know, all the different people that are running and their positions and all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the second service, we're actually going to have voters registration outside for people that have not registered to vote yet, all right? So we're trying to make sure that all you guys, you know, go out there, you cast your vote, that your voice is heard, I really believe is very, very important. But it's a season of a lot of craziness, a lot of craziness going on with, you know, all these elections, you know, in our country right now. And if in the church, we don't know what our role is, you know what, we're just going to get swept by the tide and by everything that is going on in our nation right now. If we don't understand that as a church, we have a major role to play in the middle of this. And it's not, and we're going to see it in a second, about our opinion. It's not about our anger. It's not about our indignities. No, it has nothing to do with that. I've been telling you guys, we are kingdom citizens. Can I say that word again? Kingdom citizens. Kingdom citizens. We are kingdom citizens. The Bible says that even though we are in this world, we are not of this world. All right? But we have to deal with the things of this world. And when we deal with the things of this world, we don't deal with the things of this world like the world deals with it. We deal with the things of this world according to God's kingdom, according to His design, according to what He has established. So I posed a question last week, you know, how should we vote in the up? coming elections. And I gave this answer, we should vote as kingdom independence. As kingdom independence. What does that mean, pastor? That you're either Democrat light or you're Republican light, but your affiliation and your allegiance is not to one or to the other. Your allegiance and your affiliation is to God as our king and to the kingdom of God. And I get an amen this morning. We need to understand that. If I could get the time uh, on the screen, so that uh, the countdown, so that I know where I'm at with the time, that's going to be very helpful. So today's message, all right, I've titled it, How to Be One Nation Under God Once Again. How to Be One Nation Under God Once Again. And I want to share with you probably one of the first, I guess, one of the first things I ever memorized when I went to school was something that we know as the Pledge of Allegiance. I was five years old, okay, kindergarten. Cute kid with curly hair. You know, maybe I don't look that cute anymore, but I was, all right? And I remember I went to school, and I needed to learn the Pledge of Allegiance. And we all had to stand up in the morning. We had to face the flag. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? We would face the flag, put our hands over our heart, and we will recite these words. I pledge allegiance to what? What do I pledge allegiance to? To the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Look at that. Some of you guys have memorized that over 30, 40, 50 years ago, and it's still there. All right? 
the Pledge of Allegiance. When we talk about the Pledge of Allegiance, it's, it's so interesting. You know that I was actually typing it up into my computer to make sure that I didn't say, you know, an incorrect word. It's like been so many years. And you know that as I started to type it up, I put, I pledge allegiance. The whole statement came out. It was actually like on the computer, you know, like, you know, when it does like the correcting of the words and stuff, it came out. I pledge allegiance to the United States. And all I had to do was click enter. And I noticed something. I noticed that when I looked at what the computer was offering me, the word under God was not included in the computer. In the spell check and the thing that it does automatically, it didn't include the part under God. And I was like, oh man, look how these things are already prepared. Look how these things come already. They were removing God Okay, from the automatic, you know, when, when you're typing in your computer. I don't know, I don't know what, what that's called. And I want to tell you that that's the same thing that they're trying to do right now. Remove God from everything that has to do our nation. From keeping our nation under God, trying to leave him out. And you know who wants to do that? In reality, it's not the Republicans, it's not the Democrats, it's the enemy who wants to do that. The enemy wants to take God out of this nation because he knows that if he takes God out of this nation, this nation will go under. And it won't be what it's supposed to be. For things to happen in the United States, our nation needs to walk in a covenant relationship with God. Listen to what I'm going to say. In a covenant relationship with God, the same way as an individual, as in marriages, as in churches, our nation needs to walk continually in a covenant relationship with God. Look at the phrase we just said. Okay, we just said this phrase, one nation under God. What does it say? Indivisible. Listen to the phrase. What does indivisible mean? Unity. What does indivisible mean? Not divided. With liberty and justice for all. So what it means is that if we are not under God, what are we going to have? Well, what we're going to have is disunity. What we're going to have is loss of freedom. What we're going to have is injustice. So in order to have freedom, unity, we need to be under what? Under, under, under God. Under God, that's the way, okay, that this country was established to be under God. Under God means covenant. Can you say that word with me? Covenant, okay? I'm going to tell you in a very simple way, okay, a covenant is like an umbrella, all right? Especially if you live in Miami, that it rains a lot, okay? If you want a word to the wise, keep an umbrella always in your car. You know, because you never know when you're going to go out and all of a sudden it was sunny when you left the house, but when you get to your destination, it's pouring. All right. What happens is that you take an umbrella. What happens when you take out an umbrella? You know what it is? What happens? You are undercover. You are protected from the weather. Question, does it stop raining when you bring out your umbrella? Does rain stop? No, it doesn't stop. Now, question. Are you getting wet when you're under the umbrella? 
Well, it depends what kind of umbrella you have. You know, but that's another question. That's another, you know, subject. But if you have a good umbrella and it's raining and you're standing under the umbrella, do you get wet? No. Why? Because the umbrella offers covering, offers protection from the bad weather. A covenant is like that. A covenant, okay, in the Bible, a covenant, what it does is that it offers protection, okay, from everything else that is going around in society. Everything that is going around in our culture. Covenant means, you could write this down, a relationship bonded divinely, created by God, that offers protection and blessing. I'm going to repeat that, okay, for you guys that are taking notes. I want you guys to take note. Covenant means a relationship bonded divinely, created by God, that offers His protection and blessing. So we want to be a blessed nation. What do we need to do, guys? We need to be under God. We want to be a blessed nation. We want to be under God. Look what Psalm 33, verse 12 says. Psalm 33, verse 12. I read this verse last week. Let me read it again. It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen as His inheritance. What does it say? That blessed is the nation whose God is who? The Lord. There's two nations, okay, in the history of the world that I know that they have gone into covenant relationship with God. One of those nations is the nation of Israel, of old. You see it in the Bible, okay? God makes a covenant with them, and they walk in covenant with Him. And another one is this nation of the United States when it was founded, okay? Now... A lot of times, and the reality is, we have the name of God all over the place because we have it in the Pledge of Allegiance. We have it in our money. If you look at your money, what does it say? In God we trust. But the reality is, is this nation still walking in covenant with God? Are we still walking under God's protection and under God's covering? How do we become one nation under God once again? That's the question that I'm posing today. Well, in order to understand this, let's go to our reading today. And it's going to be found in the book of Romans, chapter 13. We're going to go to Romans 13. We're going to read verse 1 through 5 this morning. You guys at home, join me. Romans 13, verse 1 through 5. And I'm going to read from the New King James Version. I was going through different versions, but I I settled in this one here. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. 
For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. What an amazing, amazing scripture we're reading here today. So, to answer the question, how to become one nation under God once again. Number one, I want you to write this down. To be a nation under God, we need to embrace God's person and God's policies. Number one, we got to embrace God's person and God's policy. You can't say, okay, I want God. I want His person. I want His nature, but I don't want His policies. We can't be in this place, church, where we're picking and choosing. And we say, well, this is good, but this is not. Because the reality is, whatever comes from God is good. Even if we have to adjust to it. And we'll talk about that here in a second. So, if you want okay, the right type of government, this is the news, guys. God must be part of the equation. If we want the right type of government, God needs to be part of the equation. The further you move God from government, let me tell you something, the further you'll remove God's blessing. The further we move God from our government, and some people are like, Pastor, is that politics and church and God doesn't go together? Let me tell you that I have some news for you. From the Scripture, from the Bible, we're going to read it in a second. God is all up in government from Genesis to Revelation. If you tell me that God and government don't go together, you need to read your Bible. From the book of Genesis, when it starts talking about Abraham visiting Egypt, and all of a sudden the Pharaoh wants to be with Abraham's wife Sarah, and God appears to Pharaoh in a dream telling him, hey, don't get with that woman. God already starts to get involved with people that are in governmental positions. All the way to Joseph becoming the prime minister of Egypt, all the way through the Bible and the kings, and all the way to the end of the whole Bible. God is all up in government. The verse that we just read in Romans starts by saying that all authority, not some authority, not the authorities that you agree with, not the ones that you like, all authority, every elected official has been placed there by God. I know that you might be here and like, Pastor, I wish I could cut that verse out. I wish you'd give me some scissors this morning. Every elected official has been placed there by God. All authority, according to Romans chapter 13, verse 1. All authority. This is very important to understand and to understand how the kingdom of God operates. Because remember, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. And if you go with me real quick, keep your finger in Romans 13, because that's our main scripture today. But Daniel chapter 5, verse 21. There's this king called Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar is the king okay, of Babylon, an enemy of God's people. Actually, he was the one that went into Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took out all the articles from the temple, all right? And this guy did not want to honor God. He was a pagan king. 
He was a God that worshipped, okay, false idols. He was his own, you know, idol, pretty much, all right? And listen to what happens in Daniel 5.21. It says, he was driven from among the children of mankind. And his mind was made like that of a beast, because he didn't recognize God. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Listen to this part. Until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he wills. God rules the kingdom of mankind. And he puts over it whoever he wants. That's what the Bible says. You think that God falls asleep on election night? You think that he, you know, forgets and he's like, oh my God. No. He puts whom he wills. That's what the Bible says. Now there's one thing to vote for. And I want to share this with you guys in this first point. There's this one thing that you and I could vote for in this upcoming election. Listen to this. And everything else will be covered from a kingdom worldview. If you vote for this one thing, everything else will be covered. And like, Pastor, tell me the magic thing. (laughs) I want to make sure that I know what it is. Well, I'm going to tell you, okay, the biblical role of civil government according to Romans 13 that we just finished reading. Between verse 1 and 5, this is it, all right? And you can write this down. To maintain a safe, a just, a righteous, and compassionately responsible environment for freedom to flourish. I'm going to repeat it again. The role of civil government is to maintain a safe, a just, a righteous, and compassionately responsible environment for freedom to flourish. So as we look into this definition, and this is why I'm telling you to write it down. Because like I said, today we're going to get some voters' guides, and you're going to know where people stand and everything. But I want you to take this definition and think about it for the next week. I want you to take this definition and think about it for the next week. And listen to what I want you to do. I want you to look at the agenda of the politicians. And if that agenda aligns itself to this that I just shared with you right now. If the agenda of the politicians that are running for office aligns itself with maintaining a safe, a just, a righteous, and compassionately responsible environment for freedom to flourish. you got to put everything and ring them through that. Everyone and ring them through that. That is the framework, if I could use a, a better word for it. You can use this as a framework so that you can look at the person, look at the policy. Listen to this. As a kingdom independent. Oh, I said I'm hardcore Democrat. Oh, I'm hardcore Republican. No, I want you to be Democrat light. I want you to be Republican light. I want you to be a kingdom independent. My allegiance is to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you run them through this. You run them through this. This is the standard to approach 
the concept of voting, this that I'm sharing with you here. You cannot have God removed and not have trouble in government. You cannot remove God and say, we're going to be okay, everything's going to be fine. No, that does not exist. Leave God out, and what do we have? Disorder and injustice. Bring God in, and what do we have? Blessing, order, and justice. Government is to reflect the image of God. The same way that we are created to reflect the image of God, okay, government is to reflect the image of God for the well-being of society. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, God gave Israel a constitution. What is that constitution? The ten, the ten what? The ten commandments. The Ten Commandments was what? A constitution that God was giving the people of Israel. What does the Ten Commandments reflect? Who God is. His nature. His person. And not only did He give Ten Commandments, He gave 613 laws. That's how many laws you'll find. Okay, 613 between the book of Leviticus and Numbers. 613 laws ordinances of how the first 10 commandments, or if I should say the first 10 amendments, if we're going to speak about a constitution, how those first 10 amendments apply to everyday life and reflect his person and he and his perspective on each issue. There's not one thing in government that God did not leave out. Everything is covered. You know what 613 laws are? To break down the Ten Commandments? That's a lot of laws. And in Romans 1.18, you don't need to go there. But Romans 1.18, Paul says that we didn't want God's perspectives as people. The world did not want God's perspective. And you know what they got instead? They got decay. Decay entered. That's Paul's description of sin entering the world. So the question that I have for you today, guys, are you tired of decay? I am. Are you, are you tired of the things breaking down, marriages breaking down, children being abused, government standing by? Are you tired of all these things that are going on? You need to vote God back in and his perspective into this nation. And I want to tell you something, guys. The more the enemy can divide us and keep us on different sides of the aisles, the more he can divide us, the more you will see the destruction of our society. And if we here in the church are constantly be, going to be divided and standing here and standing there and fighting for this and fighting for that, I told you we're not going to be objective in understanding that we are kingdom ambassadors representing Christ and calling things as they are. Because I want to tell you something. Neither party, neither the Republican Party or the Democrat Party, has all of God together in their agenda. God cannot be completely represented by one party or the other. You guys understanding what I'm telling you this morning? Kind of quiet. But this is important what I'm telling you. In the last teaching of the series, we're going to get into some specific issues. And we're going to look at how God looks into some of these things. But listen to this. You don't get to have an opinion that disagrees with God. I don't get to have an opinion that disagrees with God. You could have it. 
But I have some news for you. You got to align it quickly. If you're arguing with God about something, let me tell you something. God rules. God is king. He establishes his rule and his kingship, his dominion. And we need to align ourselves to it and fall into order. So you want to vote for who God votes for in this upcoming election? You need to partner with him on your vote and his definition of civil government. Verse 2, we just read verse 2. It says, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Point number two. To be a nation under God, we need to align ourselves to his ordinances. To be a nation under God, we need to align ourselves to his ordinances. What are his ordinances, pastor? You might be there. Those are his guidelines. Okay, the ordinances of God are his guidelines. And the Bible says that whoever resists the authority resists God's guidelines and are opposing God himself. And they receive what? According to this verse, guys, this is a little tough. Okay, but it says that they will bring judgment upon themselves. Let me tell you something. This is very strong. These are strong words that the Apostle Paul is using here because when it talks about judgment, okay, it, and, and the reality, the original word is condemnation. I don't want nobody falling into condemnation. Judgment. I have a question. When you look around at our nation, do you think our nation might be under judgment right now? Do you think that our nation could be under judgment right now because we have not aligned ourselves to the ordinances of God and we're fighting it? And we're fighting the authorities and we're fighting all these things. Let me tell you that this nation was created, okay, to function under God's ordinances, under his rule, his umbrella of protection. One nation of citizens that would recognize that he reigns and would carry it forth through the government. Verse 3, it says, For the ruler are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same to be a nation under God, number three, write this down. We need to allow God to define what is good and evil. We need to let God define what is good and evil. If we're going to be a nation under God, this verse is speaking here about good and bad behavior. Okay, and it talks, if you do what is good, you don't need to be afraid. Now, if you do what is bad, hey, you got to straighten out. That's what this verse is saying here. The question is, who's defining this? Who's defining good and evil? Because if you're defining good and evil according to your opinion, we could have two totally different opinions about what good and evil is. That's why we need to leave our opinions aside. 
We need to leave them outside the door. And we need to come in this understanding the role that we play in all this. We need to understand that it is God who defines what is good and what is evil, church. It's good because God says that it's good. And it's evil and it's bad because God says that it's evil and it's bad. If we could take the definition that I just gave you of civil government, according to God, and apply it, especially in this area, we're going to see healing in our land. I'm going to say the definition it to maintain a safe, a just, a righteous, and compassionately responsible environment for freedom to flourish. If we take this and apply it to civil government, you know what we're going to see? We're going to see God's healing upon our land. But as Christians, we cannot be divided. Because Christ is not divided. Deuteronomy 4, 8. Look at this verse. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in this law which I set before you this day? The Lord is saying, what other nation has these statutes and this righteous judgment that I set before you this day? We need to let God call the shots. We need to understand what God is calling good and what God is calling evil and align ourselves to that. Actually, I'm going to say something. The Bible says that man, man ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in disobedience. You know that God never wanted for you to know what was good and what was evil according to our own opinion? That was never his intention. His intention is that he would tell us what was good according to him. But when we decided to call the shots ourselves, that's when sin entered the world. Division entered Verse 4, it says this, For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. To be a nation under God, number 4, write this down. We need to understand That the authority is God's servant. To be one nation under God, we need to understand that the authority is God's servant. Actually, Paul calls it God's minister. Isn't that an interesting word? Because a lot of you guys think of minister and you think of someone, for example, like myself, that I'm standing behind the pulpit and I'm teaching you God's word and you're like, oh, that's God's minister. Well, the reality is God called us all to be ministers in some way, shape, or form. Okay? But God calls those that are in places of civil authority His ministers. His ministers. And the same way that in church we could have a good minister or we could have a bad minister, okay, they all occupy, listen to what I'm going to say, they all occupy a position of ministry, whether they're good or bad. 
And what you honor is the position that they hold. You guys understanding what I'm telling you? Here, in the scripture that we're reading this morning, the minister in this verse is Nero. You want to read a little bit about history and which were the worst emperors in Roman history? Nero will be on your top three list, all right? Nero was a bad dude. When he wanted to have fun, okay, what he would do is that he would put Christians and tie them up to stakes and light them up so that they could burn in his patio outside his palace. History says that he would line up the streets on the way to Rome with burning Christians in the evening. And the Bible saying that this dude, which I don't agree with what he's doing at all, probably the worst guy, is God's minister. I don't understand, Pastor. Please explain this to me because this is kind of crazy. Yet, I'm going to tell you something. You and I don't live in a dictatorship. Okay, you and I live in a what, guys? In a democracy. That's why the series is called Our Democracy and God's Kingdom. Our democracy and God's kingdom. In our democracy, okay, you can have good political leaders or you can have bad political leaders. But it's your job and my job as kingdom citizens, listen to this, to hold them into account. According to the person and the policies of God. That are his ordinances. Because they handle God's ordinances. God's ordinances are in their hand. And we hold them in account in our democracy. This is important, guys. For example, when you would look at Rome, you would see a Roman soldier. What did the Roman soldier have? He had a sword. And it talks about that they don't have the sword or they don't carry the sword in vain. A Roman soldier had what? He had a sword. What he was saying with that sword is evil's not going to be ignored. The sword was used for two purposes. It was used for intimidation, because you would see one of those Roman soldiers walking around with one of those swords, like, hey, man, <laughs> whatever's going on here, let's just, you know, call it peace right now. Intimidation, okay? And the second thing that he had that, that sword there for was judgment. He would intimidate you, or he could bring what? He could bring judgment, Okay? Today, the sword still has two purposes, all right? You want a safe, righteous, and just environment so that freedom could flourish? Understand that the people that are there in authority are placed by God. Not to intimidate us, okay? But 1 Timothy 2.2, for example, it says that we should do what? Pray for our leaders. We should pray for our leaders for a peaceful environment to live in. I'm going to ask you a question. Last week I came up here and I said, Church, I don't know if you agree with him or not, but we got to pray for our president because he's sick. Remember that I did that? You guys were here last week. The question that I have for you, other than that moment, when was the last time that you prayed for our president? When was the last time that you prayed for our vice president? For the members of Senate, of Congress, when was the last time you prayed for our governor, our mayor? Because the Bible does require that we pray for them. I have them in my prayer list every day. And I pray for President Trump. And for eight years, I prayed for President Obama. 
Agreeing or disagreeing, that did not matter. God calls me to do what? To pray for them so that I can live peacefully. You think maybe the craziness that is going around is because some Christians have decided to say, you know what, I'm praying for this guy. I don't like him. I'm not praying. No, we're called to pray. We're called to lift them up, to bring them before God. Let me close this morning. So what is your standard? It's a question that I want to close with here today. Is it your thinking? Is your standard your feeling? Is your standard the way that you were raised, your background? Is your standard what you like, what you don't like? What is your standard? We need to be, guys, listen to this. We need to be, ob we need an objective tool that is outside of us, outside of my opinion, outside of what I think, that will help us with the issues at hand. A tool that will help us see in the murky waters. I remember one of these trips that we took to Israel, and I was baptizing in the Jordan River, and the waters were very murky. They were running, and it had been raining. And usually the times I had been there before, you could walk and you could see all the way down and you could see everything that is out. But on this occasion, I couldn't see anything. And the waters were so murky and I felt that something was nibbling at my calf. And I was like trying to baptize people and give them verses and trying to make them, you know, have the best moment that they can with the Lord. But something was weird that morning. Something was going on under that water that I could not see what was happening. Later, when we were getting out, we were able to go finally to an area where there was a little bit of, and there were these fishes that were about this size. And they were the ones that were nibbling down here at our cabin. Our if I would have seen that, probably the baptism would have ended early that day. <laughs> Today, we're living in times where the water is so murky. And so many things are underneath the water that we don't really understand everything that is going on. But that's why we need a divine tool. What is that tool? A standard on each issue. And you know what that standard is? God's Word. God's Word, the Bible. Okay? In the Bible, you will find the desire of the king. You'll find his expressions, what he has established. So the first question, guys, and that's the question they asked me, so who are you going to vote for? Who are you voting for, Pastor? Who are you voting for? Let me tell you something, that that's a secondary question. Okay? The question that we should be asking is, who does God want me to vote for? That's the question that we need to be asking, because based on the issue, okay, as a kingdom independent, what do I do? I use the tool that God has given I use the Bible to dissect every question that is being asked. And I say, what does the Scripture say about this? What does God say about that? And I take that to break it down. And listen to what I'm going to tell you. You don't get mad if the Scripture says something different than you think. You do not get mad. Proverbs 8, 15 and 16 says, by me kings reign, and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule, and nobles all the judges of the earth. 
Oof, what a powerful scripture. There's not one issue in government that God has not given a precept, that he's not given a command. And I told you to keep your finger on Romans 13.5 because I want to close with verse 5. It says, therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Very important verse right there. To be one nation under God, this is the fifth point. Write this down. Your conscience must align itself to God's truth and help you in your vote. Your conscience must align itself to God's truth and help you in your vote. So how do I vote for God in these upcoming elections? Vote as a person that is looking to advance God's kingdom. And our definition, the definition that I gave today of civil government, that's what you want to advance. You want to make sure that that is being carried out. That's going to affect the way that you see justice. That's going to affect the way that you see discrimination. That's going to affect the way that you see abortion. That's going to affect the way that you see marriage. That's the way that you're going to, it's going to affect the way you see foreign policy, taxation, everything. God has an opinion on all those things. He has a word on all those things. Let me rephrase that. He doesn't have an opinion. He has his truth about it. He has his truth about it. Because God rules on all of that. And if we are kingdom-minded, church, Numa, if we are kingdom-minded, then as kingdom citizens, we will go out and make a difference in this election that is coming up. I want you to close your eyes right there. Like I said last week, I'm I'm diving into very difficult topics, but they need to be spoken at the church. Because the church is the pillar of truth, foundation of truth. And today, I really believe that the Holy Spirit is having me share this message with you. This message that I shared with you today has been the longest message that has taken me in all 2020 to prepare. The most study that I put into a message all this year has been this message that I just shared with you. You know why? Because this is so important, what's going on right now. And you need to be educated according to God's truth and God's word. What is he speaking to you this morning? What is it that God is telling you through this message today? Ask the Holy Spirit right there where you're at. You're at home and you're watching me. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you want to tell me with this that I'm hearing right now? What are you telling me? How is it, Lord, that you want me to align myself so that this nation will be one nation under God once again? Use me, Lord, for that. Take a moment right there where you're at with God. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. Let's go.